The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. This week, if you are here, you'll remember we said all truth is God's truth wherever it is found, whether it be in scripture or in country music or in science. All truth is God's truth. And so today I want to see some of God's truth in the great literary masterpiece, The Berenstein Bears. In the Berenstein Bears book, I, Chad actually made pictures of this so that you could follow along with me. I want to read you just a portion of truth from this great novel, The Berenstein. It's a novel for me because I don't read a whole lot. but So you can read along with me. I'm actually going to start on the second paragraph. It says, now Cubs, Mama Bear said as the family got into the checkout line. And she saw that old gimme gleam in their eyes. We can't have a big fuss every time we pass candy. I simply won't stand for it. But mama, wine sister, they have gummy gumballs, my favorite. And chewy chompers, my favorite wine brother. Now hush, said mama. I simply won't listen to another word. That's when Papa Bear smiled and said, now mama, you're only young once and a and they and handed the cubs their favorite treats. It's only too true, said Mama, as they were leaving the supermarket, that you're only young once. But that's all the more reason to learn proper behavior while you're still young. And I certainly think, look, look, shouted sister, a new ride. Hey, a bucking frog, shouted brother. That looks even better than the bucking duck. I had to practice that to make sure. <laughs> Since you're giggling, then you're, your mind's the same way around. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if you don't get it, just ask later. All right. Anyways, <laughs> may we write it, please? May we, may we, may we, please? Now, Papa had just bought them treats, and he thought that was enough for one day. But the cubs made such a fuss that he sighed, dug into his pocket, and put some money in the slot. Papa looked at Mama and shrugged. Cubs will be cubs, he said. It may be true that cubs will be cubs, said Mama, as they walked across the parking lot to their car. But that's no excuse for jumping up and down and making a scene every time they see something they want. Look, look, shouted the cubs once again, little rubber cats that stick out their tongues when you squeeze them. Cubs, said Mama, that will be quite enough. I don't want to hear another word. Oh, please, they shouted. May we please have them. Please, please, please. Papa decided it was time to put a stopping, a stop to all the fussing. Stop that fussing, he said in his loudest Papa Bear voice. But they were making such a commotion, they didn't even hear him. Sister was jumping up and down so hard that she fell over backwards and started kicking her feet in the air. Please, please, shouted the cub so loudly that the whole parking lot took notice. Err, said embarrassed Papa to the toy seller. Two of those rubber pussycats, please. The rubber pussycats not only stuck out their tongues when you squeeze them, they went squeak, squeak as well. And they squeaked, squeaked all the way home. There's one more page that did not get copied. Let me read it to you. Good thing I brought my book. 
Mama was quite annoyed by the time they got back to the treehouse, but Papa was so angry he could hardly speak. It wasn't until the cubs had gone about their business and Mama had made a pot of tea that Papa's voice came back loud and clear. Of all the outrageous, disgraceful, embarrassing behavior I have ever seen, he roared, that selfish, greedy performance by our cubs was the worst. Brother and sister have the worst case, and then here it is, of the galloping greedy gimmies I've ever seen. If you're a parent here, you may be able to identify with this story. You may have stories of your own kids with the case of the galloping, greedy gimmies. But adults have the same problem too. We may not say, gimme, 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 like the kids do. But we come to God and we say, God, if you would only give me this, then I will ask for nothing ever again. Lord, if you only give me this, then I'll be satisfied forever. What is that thing that you say, God, give me this and I won't ask for anything else? Maybe it's, Lord, give me a house or a little bit bigger house and I will be satisfied forever. Or, Lord, give me a job or a little better job. And I will be satisfied forever. Or Lord, give me money or a little bit more money. Or give me a husband or fix the husband I have. And I will be satisfied forever. Or maybe, Lord, give me kids that don't have the gimme's. And I'll be satisfied forever. Where do you have a case of the gimme's? What is that one thing that you say, Lord, give me this and my whole life would change. And I wouldn't need anything else ever again. What is that one thing that steals your satisfaction, that robs you of contentment? Maybe it's a person, a situation, an achievement, an item. What is that thing that your contentment is riding on? And when you don't have it, you act like a little child, fussing and griping, and moaning and groaning about it. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a thing. Maybe you're here today and you're just a very cynical person. And you say, you know what? Contentment is something that I have given up on. I've tried place after place after place and I have found there is no contentment to be had. And so I am just cynical about it all. Well, today we'll see in scripture that God not only makes available to us contentment, but he commands us to be content. Today, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us the secret, the secret of contentment. So if you would, please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And we will look at pages 10, I'm sorry, verses 10 through 13. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. It's page 982 in the Red Bible. If you're in the Children's Bible, it's page 1459. Philippians 4 has been a very practical chapter. It started out with showing us the conflict resolution needed in the church and moved on to show us the solution to anxiety is to go to the God of peace and he will give us the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Last week, we saw that God tells us what we should think upon in order to grow into intimacy with him. And this week, he teaches us the secret of contentment. So let's read together Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 13. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, 
that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a culture and even in a season in which discontentment is is thrown in our face. It's encouraged that we might buy these products. And yet there is nothing new under the sun, God. This was a real reality that Paul was facing and that the Philippians were facing, God. We We are people with discontent hearts, God. And so, Lord, pray that this morning we would learn the secret to contentment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says he has learned the secret to contentment. It's interesting that Paul calls the formula to contentment a secret. And you wonder, why does he call this a secret? Is it because the Trinity has this knowledge of how a person can be content and they're keeping it all to themselves? Is that why it's a secret? Well, no, God God has made plain to us where contentment can be found. The reason why Paul calls contentment a secret is because contentment is something that everybody is looking for. And so few people find it. It is an open secret that God shares with us this morning, that he shares throughout his scripture how we should be content. And yet we search for it in so many ways, in so many avenues, and it is constantly eluding us. We're constantly reaching for it. and It is just beyond our grasp. And so in verse 11, Paul says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. Paul tells us that contentment is not something that comes naturally. We are not born content people. You can tell that by looking at the Berenstein Bears or by looking at your own household or by looking at your own heart. Contentment is not something that comes naturally. And so we have to learn contentment. And Paul says he has learned contentment. He has learned the secret to being content. It is an open secret, which he will share with us today. And it is a secret that is available to all, but attained by only a few. And so let's look to God's word and learn the secret of contentment. First, let's make sure we're on the same page with what contentment means. I think a good synonym or similar word to the word contentment is the word satisfied. I know if Trish and I go out to eat and we have a great meal afterwards, we'll say, I'm content or I'm satisfied. My belly is full. When Paul speaks of satisfaction, he's not talking about a physical satisfaction of our stomach, but a spiritual satisfaction of our heart and our soul. A satisfaction that is not contingent on any situation that you face. The opposite of content is coveting. It's found in the 10th commandment, Exodus twenty seventeen. The Lord says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that your neighbor, that is your neighbor's. Coveting is when somebody has something that you want. And instead of being happy for them, that they have it, you get angry 
You become discontented, whether they have a waistline that you want, whether they have a snowblower you want, whether they have a yard that you want. Coveting is when you are discontent because you see they have it and it makes you angry. Let me give you an example. In my life, something that I have struggled with contentment with is is families that have young children and have grandparents in town. Grandparents that can come over and help out, give the parents a break, let them go out, let them go on a date night. Hey, we'll come take the kids once a week. You all go out and have fun. That is something that I struggle with being content with. When other people have that, I'm not like, oh, good for you. I'm so happy for you. I'm like, why don't we have that? I want those grandparents in town. I'm not content in my situation. And I covet their situation. And so you see, coveting is the opposite of being content. You cannot be content and covet at the same time. And you cannot covet and be content at the same time. And so Paul tells us the secret to soul-satisfying contentment, whatever circumstance you're in. Let's read again from verse 11. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then here is the secret that Paul has learned, the secret to contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.11 is a very well-known verse. My guess is that you have heard it before. But it's one of the most misquoted and misunderstood verses in all of the Bible. I mean, you can probably hear during this college football playoffs time or March Madness, you can hear players saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In fact, I remember seeing one basketball game in which a player was at the free throw line. There was little to no time left. His team was down by one point. And he sat there and calmly hit both free throws to win the game. Afterwards, the the announcer came over and interviewed him and said, how are you able to make those with all of the pressure in the world watching? How are you able to make all of those, make those free throws to win the game? And I'm sure with the right heart intention, quoted Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, here is the irony of this. Paul is saying, I can do all things while sitting in prison. If he meant I can do all things, mean I am omnipotent. I have all of this power. I can do whatever I want. My guess is Paul would not be writing this from prison. And so when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, what does he mean? What Paul is saying is that I can be content in every situation. When we look at the context of this verse, I can be content where I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I make two free throws or whether I miss two free throws. Whatever the situation is, I can be content. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The power of Christ is the secret to contentment. You know, it's interesting in this passage, this English word that's translated content it's found nowhere else in the New Testament. The, the English word content is found throughout the New Testament, but the Greek word, autarkia, is not found anywhere else in the New Testament. And Paul uses this word, this Greek word, for a very explicit purpose. The word found here in Philippians 4.11 for contentment is used by Stoic philosophers of his time. 
And it emphasizes a self-sufficiency to find contentment. Peter O'Brien commentary says this. You can follow along on the screen. It says, in Stoic ethics, those were the ethics that were highly influential in the Roman Empire, which the Philippians would have been underneath that influence. In Stoic ethics, autarkia was regarded as the essence of all virtues. It described the cultivated attitude of the wise person who had become independent of all things and people, relying on himself because of his innate resources or on the lot given to him by the gods. One of the main tenets of Stoicism Stoicism was to develop self-control and fortitude and overcoming these emotions that would make us discontent. And so contentment was something that all of these people were striving for. And the more content of a person you were, the more it revealed how strong of a person you were and how wise of a person you were. But when Paul uses this word to describe contentment, he's describing it again to the Philippian church who is familiar with the stoic thought of the time. And as we hear Paul using it, they might have understood Paul as claiming that he has mastered in himself contentment, the contentment which the Stoic philosophers have been longing for for centuries. Paul claims to have the power to be satisfied regardless of external circumstances. In effect, he's saying, I had the power to master all situations in life. It actually seems like a very arrogant claim in the midst of this culture that I have found the contentment that these Stoic philosophers have been looking for for ages. But then we get to verse 13. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Stoic philosophers like us today are searching, we're searching for contentment. And Paul is saying, you know what? You can never find contentment until you find it in Jesus Christ. Those who have Christ in them and the power of Christ transforming them to find contentment is the only avenue that you will find what satisfies your hungry soul. Paul did not draw from his self-sufficiency, but from Christ's sufficiency. He didn't look to his inner strength, but to Christ who strengthens him. Gerald Hawthorne's translation of Philippians 4.13 in context says this, I have the power to face all such situations in union with the one who continuously infuses me with strength. You see, discontentment is not ultimately an issue of circumstance. Discontentment is a matter of the heart. And the only one that has power over your heart is God himself. And so we must look to Christ's power that we might be content. A couple months ago, Trish and I put a wood-burning insert into our house so that we could heat our house with wood. And so we have all of this firewood that we have to move five or six times before we actually burn it. And so we always enlist our kids. We're trying to train them when they're young, you know. So, so little Cooper, three-year-old, is out there trying to help us move wood. And we'll give him a few sticks to take and to throw into the trailer or in the bucket or whatever it might be. And then he'll kind of wander off in the zone. And he'll go up to this huge log that weighs about twice as much as he does. And I'll say, Cooper, do you want Daddy to help you with that log? He'll say, no. I'm a big boy. I can do it. And then I say, all right, big boy, go do it. And then for like two to two and a half seconds, 
I see him going, oh, oh, oh. Cooper, do you want daddy to help you? Yes. So I come over and I, I pick up the log. And of course, he wants to carry like one little corner of it, you know. So I pick up the log and we take it over to the trailer and we, one, two, three, there we go. You see, part of the secret to contentment is not only looking to Christ's power, but giving up on your own power. Part of being content in Christ is no longer looking to yourself to find that contentment, but looking to Jesus to give you the power over your heart to find all of your contentment in him. And so Paul calls us not to look to our own strength, but look to the strength of Christ. That is the great secret. Christ-empowered contentment, whatever situation we live in. Now, as we look at this uh, passage, as it continues on, we see that Paul lists out two possible scenarios in which we must live out Philippians 4.13. Because living out Philippians 4.13 is very hard to do. Many know this verse, but very few people live it out. And so what does it look like in our daily life to live out Philippians 4.13, to look to Christ's power to be content in every situation? Well, first we see Paul addresses living the secret of contentment in tough situations. You know, we may look at Paul's scenario and we may say, Paul, it's easy for you to say that you can be content in whatever situations, but you have not been married to my spouse. It may be easy for you to say you can be content in all situations, but you don't have my kids. You may say, Paul, it may be easy for you to say be content in all situations, but you don't have the things going on in your life that are going on in my life. And the reality is that is completely true. But the Apostle Paul is not speaking from a vacuum. The Apostle Paul knows what it's like to be in tough situations. Even from this passage, he says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, to be humiliated. I've learned the secret of facing hunger and need. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to be lonely, to be single. He knew what it was like to be betrayed. He knew what it was like to be beaten within an inch of his life on at least eight different occasions. And he bore the scars from it. And certainly the aches and the pains. He knew what it was like to be tortured, to have no food, to be homeless. He knew what it was like to not have a family and to go through many other hardships. And as I mentioned earlier, as Paul is writing this letter, commanding joy and contentment, he is sitting in a Roman prison, chained to Roman gardens, awaiting to hear back from Caesar if he will be put to death or not. And so tough situations is not something that Paul cannot relate to. Paul has lived through tough situations, and yet he has understood the secret to contentment. Paul expands on this in depth in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You can follow along on the screen. It says this. This is Paul speaking. He says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. This is a tough situation. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ, there it is again, The power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am, see the word, content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. 
For when I am weak, then I am strong. Just to be clear, contentment does not mean you are settling with the situations of your life. It doesn't mean you're happy that you're going through pain and suffering. Contentment doesn't mean that you aren't praying for better health or better situations. Contentment doesn't mean that you're not praying for justice to be done in your life and in the world. But contentment, what contentment means is that when you cry out to your heart with God and his response is no, that you are satisfied in God alone. Let me give you an illustration. A few years ago, I attended a church planting conference for our denomination, and there was a breakout section on the issue of homosexuality. And one of the pastors there from outside of our state brought a letter from a 52-year-old man in his congregation who grew up in a great Christian home and had unwanted attraction to other men. He'd never been attracted to other women. He'd only been attracted to other men, and he didn't want it. And so this man wrote this letter to pastors, and I want to read you just an excerpt from it because it is a beautiful letter that he wrote. He says, I believe God can change my orientation. He could give me complete freedom and make me like women more than men. I still hope for that in the sense that I believe God has the power to do that. However, after 35 plus years of asking for that freedom, I begin to see that God's answer to my heart cry is something different. I begun to embrace a calling to celibacy. God has called me to obedience, so he has called me to celibacy. And then he says, and I receive this call as a grace in my life. This is a tremendously tough situation to be in. I know it's a situation that some of you are in. Everybody wants to grow old with somebody, don't you? Everybody wants that lifelong companion to love them, to share experiences with. It's a difficult situation for this man. What makes it even more difficult is you have half the church saying, it's okay, it's not a sin, it's not a big deal, go for it. And so they're minimizing his struggles. And then you have the other half of the church saying, the gospel's not for you, you're not welcome here, which is also equally wrong. And so this man is in a very difficult, tough situation. And instead of manipulating the scriptures or justifying a pursuit of sin, he's pursued obedience. He's asked God to remove this thorn from his flesh many times to change his orientation. And God's answer has been no. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so he has understood in this very tough situation of his life, the obedient calling of celibacy. And he has said, with great contentment, I receive this call as a grace in my life. What tough situation are you facing right now? What is a thorn in your flesh? Maybe it is a temptation you have been fighting for years or for decades and you've prayed, Lord, take this temptation away from me. And God's answer has been, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Or maybe you have been praying for physical healing or relational healing. And the Lord's answer has been, no, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Or maybe you've been praying for financial security. And the Lord has said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The secret to being content in tough situations is not God eliminating those tough situations. But it is the power of Christ transforming your heart to take delight and satisfaction in what it was made to delight and satisfy in, in God himself. And so Paul tells us how we're to live out Philippians 4.13 in tough situations. But he also tells us how to live it out in terrific situations. Again, Paul says, I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to be well fed. I know what it is to be living in plenty. And I have learned to be content. In those situations. Now, when you see this point, being content in terrific situations, you might think, I don't need to hear that, right? If if, if I'm living in abundance, if I'm living in a terrific situation, if I have everything I want and everything I desire, of course I'm going to be content, right? I think we need to hear this point more than the last, to be honest with you. We live in a land of abundance. We have given an abundance of blessings, and still we are a discontent people. When I was in college, you know what I wanted? I wanted to marry a beautiful, godly woman. When I married a beautiful, godly woman, which is fine. When I married a beautiful, godly woman, you know what I wanted? I wanted a nice house. When I got a nice house, you know what I wanted? Kids. When I got kids and I was in seminary, you know what I wanted to do? I want to do something crazy. I want to plant a PCA church in Wisconsin. Haven't been done in a long time. I I wanted to plant a church that proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to plant a church that planted other churches that proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wanted to plant a church in which there was spiritual intimacy. The word of God was faithfully taught. I wanted to plant a church that would be financially self-sufficient, that we could have a decent income and live in a nice house and have our wonderful kids. Here's the thing. I got all of it. Those are audacious things to ask God, and we're called to ask God audaciously, and I got it all, but you know what it does not bring? It does not bring contentment. It doesn't. There's always the case of a little bit more. If I was just a little better preacher, then I would be happy. If I was just, if we had just a little bigger church, then I would be happy. If there weren't quite so many problems, then I would be happy. There's always the case of just a little bit more. If I had just a little bit more, then I would be happy. You know, at the beginning, I asked you, how would you feel in that blank if you said, Lord, give me this one thing and I will never ask for anything again. Then I will be content forever. It's a lie. If God gave you that thing, you would be discontent very quickly. First Timothy six, six through 10. Says this now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world. And we cannot take anything out of the world, right? No hearse, uh, no U-Haul in the back of our hearse, right? But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money 
is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. J.D. Rockefeller was an American businessman who had an instrumental role in, finding, in founding the Standard Oil Company. J.D. Rockefeller was the first billionaire in history. And in today's, in today's finances, Rockefeller would have been the richest person in human history. Once Rockefeller was asked the question, how much money is enough? You know what his answer was? One dollar more. One dollar more. Benjamin Franklin said, contentment makes poor men rich. Discontent makes rich men poor. We need to know the secret to being content, not just in tough situations, but in terrific situations. Because to be honest, you live in a lot of terrific situations, but it does not bring contentment. You know, God's word is so timeless, but it's also so timely as we head into this Christmas season. As you look forward to Christmas, it, you might be looking forward to a very tough situation in which your family, which has been alienated from you, will not be around. Maybe you'll be lonely. Maybe you won't get any gifts. Or maybe you're looking forward to the Christmas season, and it is going to be terrific. You will have all of your family there. You have all the presents you want. But then December 26th comes around, and you thought, I thought Christmas would make me content. I thought it would make me happy, whether you have plenty or nothing. And yet we are reminded here once again that none of those things can make us content if we live in our own power, but we must live in the power of Christ to be content in Christ in all situations, whether in plenty or in want. And so Paul calls us to contentment and points us to the remedy for discontentment. At the end of this Berenstein Bears book, Grandpa Bear gives some advice, or Grandma Bear gives some advice to Father Bear and says, you know, when, when you were a little cub, on the way to the grocery store, to the general store, we would, we would decide on the treat that you would get, and we would get there, and you would get that treat, and then we'd come home, and it worked very well. And if you got a case of the gimmies, you wouldn't get anything that day. And so Father Bear thought about it, and he thought, you know, that's a good idea. I'm going to try that. And so he took the, the, the baby bears back to the general store, and he created this thing where on the way there, they'd pick out what treat they wanted, and they went in, and they got the treat. They did their shopping. They got out, and everybody's happy. The problem with this is that it's a technique that forces external obedience but it completely ignores the corrupt attitudes of their hearts. Their technique was like putting a Band-Aid on a cancer patient. It never attacked the discontentment. Or better yet, it never leveraged the discontentment for something greater. You see, discontentment has a value to us. It has a valuable purpose in our life. Discontentment tells us that everything we have been accumulating does not leave us satisfied. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. It's also been explained this way. Every person has been created with a God-shaped hole in their heart. 
And we try to fill that hole with different things to make ourselves content. Different good things like family and marriage and romance. Great things, good things. We put into that hole seeking contentment. And while it may satisfy momentarily, it always passes away. All of us are looking for that one thing that will make us need nothing else. And it is the most frustrating thing for human beings is that we are seeking out contentment to fill this hole and we cannot find it in this world. At Christmas, we celebrate that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, that at last our souls could be satisfied. That baby Jesus lived the perfect life that we should have lived and then went to the cross and satisfied God's wrath on our behalf that our souls could forever be satisfied in God. The one thing that can satisfy the God-shaped hole in our heart is God. Through the incarnation and crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus Christ made satisfaction and contentment possible. And so let me end by asking you this question. If you are honest with yourself, which I always encourage, honest with God, are you content? Are you satisfied? Or do you always need the next thing to be happy? Whether you consider yourself a Christian or not a Christian, the exhortation is the same. The secret to contentment is an open secret. Do not look for contentment in people of this world or things of this world or situations in this world. You have done that your whole life and it has not worked. In the power of Christ, look to Christ and Christ alone for contentment. For he is the one that your hungry heart hungers for. He is the one, the only one who will satisfy. Let's pray. Lord God, We come this morning confessing that we have searched for soul satisfaction and the newest gadget, the one that has a better Metapixel camera or the one that is smaller and lighter or whatever it might be, God. Lord, thank you for giving us these good gifts, but let let us guard our heart from seeking contentment in them, Lord. Lord, we need the power of Christ, the power of Christ's resurrection in our heart to make us content both in tough situations and terrific situations. And we pray that you would bless us with that richly today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.